Poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome, 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 my friend, to another episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Brad Wilson. And today on Tactical Tuesday, John Chai has cooked us up a little mini coaching session. Unsurprisingly, he has managed to unearth two of the more difficult hands in his database for us to go over. John, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me back, Brad. Uh, yeah, so I think that's like a good way to describe kind of uh, what this episode is going to look like. It's probably going to sort of mimic what maybe what a typical coaching session looks like for us other than um, kind of reviewing a video of my play. Uh, I think this will be very close to the types of discussions that we have when, um, you know, I get into tough spots in a recording or, uh, you know, I bring up individual hands to, to talk to you about. Sometimes like these hands you posted in the current students thread, it's, it's a thread reserved for my active paying students to get first priority in hand reviews and getting feedback on on the spots that they play. And you mentioned these two hands. And then I, I looked at them last night and was kind of reflecting and thinking about them. And then this morning I woke up a little bit of anxiety because these hands are very tricky and ran some sims because I wanted to see what the solver said if it sort of matched my intuition. I node locked and looked at the spots and one of the spots I got very little clarity on because it's so wacky. The other spot I feel like I've got a pretty good handle on how we ought to proceed. So with that said, the first spot we're going to handle is the wacky spot that could go multiple different directions. I'm not entirely sure. So lead us in with the action in this hand, man. Sure. So action starts with uh, getting folded around to me on the button. Um, I have ace of hearts, 10 of diamonds, ace, 10 offsuit. I open to my standard two and a half X, $25. Uh, this hand happens at uh, 510, no limit, um, six max cash on ignition. I have ace of hearts, center of diamonds, make it 25 on the button and get called by the big blind. Um, the kind of, I think one thing of note uh, before going into this hand is that it appears that the big blind is a player that is that looks to be slightly weaker. He's playing 38-18 over 175 hands. Um, also, he's only starting the hand with uh, 94 big blinds instead of kind of the typical 100 big blinds that you I would expect to see from um, a strong rag. To the best of my knowledge, though, when you posted this hand, you didn't have these insights, right? You were fairly fresh in the session with him? Uh, uh, all right. So at the, at the time of the hand, I had 139 hands on him, and he was playing 33-20. So that's a little bit less fishy than the stats that I just quoted. But uh, I think a big tell is um, him being in the big blind and not having reloaded up to a hundred, up to a full stack. Like, I think that is just, I don't know, (laughs) just from experience, that seems like, 
like the place where a lot of regs reload, like they'll reload right before they get up to the big blind and then reload again, um, you know, if they pay a big blind, small blind, and then get to a button and have to re-up for like the one and a half big blinds. I would say like some things can happen because Ignition is the prince of amazing poker software. There's no auto reload functionality. So if he played a hand before this and folded on the river after investing six big blinds, there is the chance that he didn't have an opportunity to reload his stack before this, the hand happened. So it's hard to dive too deeply into this 94 big blind situation as it is right now. We don't know for sure one way or the other, but with that said, we raised to $25 with the Ace of Hearts, 10 of Diamonds. The big blind defends. We get a flop of Trey of Hearts, Six of Hearts, Seven of Hearts. So monotone flop, we have the Ace of Hearts. The big blind checks, and now it's your action. And tell me about the decision that you made here, John. Um, so I decided to check back the nut flush draw and two overs. Uh, I think this is sort of where, <laughs> this is the street where, um, you know, my questions start. I don't even know if this is a hand that I should be checking back or uh, betting the flop with. Um, in general, I think I know just, just like theory wise that, you know, these monotone boards are going to be checked back uh, more frequently, more frequently than non-monotone boards. And I think like in game, I just thought like, okay, this board is probably, probably doesn't give me like much of a range advantage versus the big blind, if, if any, um, and you know, this with the nut flush straw and two overs, this sort of seems like a good sort of protected hand to be able to check back and, and still be able to call bets on future streets. So let's puncture that thought right there. You think this board, the big blind has a range advantage. So Firstly, I just want to challenge you on the suited hands that the big blind is going to play that you don't raise with on the button. Uh, there, are, there are. I, I didn't mean that the big blind has a has a rage advantage over me on this board. I, I, I just meant that like I don't think this is a board that I can just uh, that I have a massive rage advantage versus the big. Like I don't, I don't think either player has has a has a massive advantage on this board. Well, we have uh, a nut advantage for sure. Like we yeah. have we have ace king, ace queen, ace jack, ace ten of hearts, king queen of hearts, king jack of hearts. Queen Jack of Hearts, potentially Queen Ten of Hearts when the big blind doesn't three bet. So there's some removal there for sure in the suited broadweight. So we for sure have more flushes here. Mm, yeah, that's a good point. I think especially on this specific flop too, with the seven, six, and three of hearts, you know, I would expect the big blind to be three betting um ace ten of hearts uh and better. So ace ten through ace king of hearts uh be pure three bets and then if they have suited aces that they don't that they don't three bet, um, I think it would they would most likely fall into like the a seven of hearts, a six of hearts, and maybe even the ace three of hearts category. So, yeah, I think on this flop specifically, the big blind is going to have fewer nut flushes than than uh, than different boards. So to absolve myself uh, from future confusion here, as a coach, because we're going to get in some weird territory, I would start out by betting here. I just okay. think the ace ten. Makes a lot of sense as a bet. We have the nut flush blocker. I would just start out by betting and kind of go from there. But that is not what we do because we tried to make this very, very complicated. We check back and the turn is the nine of spades. So tray of hearts, six of hearts, seven of hearts, nine of spades, $55 in the middle. 
our opponent bets $40. So they size up. It's a around 70% pot size bet here on the turn. Tell me about what you're thinking here now that you have overcards, you have a gut shot, and you have the nut flush draw. Yeah, I think there, I don't know, in my mind, there wasn't much of a decision on the turn, but to just call with uh, the turn gutter and uh, still with the two overs and the nut flush draw. Um, I'm not putting too much thought into uh, the big blinds betting range on the turn. I think he can have pretty much everything from small flushes to sets to two pairs to just one pair of hands that are betting for protection flash value and, you know, all sorts of bluffs um, once I check back the flop. So you're calling here on the turn instead of raising because you think you beat a sizable percentage of villains lead range here on the turn? I think I beat a decent portion of the villains lead range. Also, I just felt that like with uh, a hand uh, like ace 10 with a heart that has, you know, that much equity and potential, it's uh, sort of painful to get bet three bet on, on the turn and, and end up playing like a kind of a larger pot than, than I want to. It's ironic that this is your thoughts on the turn before we get to the river here. <laughs> so the problem here with our call and, and once again on the flop is when we, when we call here, we are going to be raising some of our nut flushes, right? So there's going to be some removal of nut flushes in our range here when we do just call, despite the fact that we have the ace of hearts blocker, a lot of our ace deuce, ace four, ace five of hearts hands just want to start getting more money in the pot because they do want to play a big pot right now, right? So when we do call, we don't have as many nut flushes in our range. We don't have as many you know king high flushes in our range or queen high if those are the type of hands that we're checking back here. So just something to bear in mind. And I would also think that villain is stabbing here fairly light. They could be stabbing with 9x for protection. They could be stabbing with 7x for protection. So there is a lot of merit here in just going ahead and clicking the raise button on the turn with our hand and Mm -hmm. our equity and knowing that the turn is unlikely to be bet three bet with a high frequency because we have the nut flush blocker, right? Like they can't have the nut flush. So even with like eight, nine of hearts, I suspect they're not likely to bet three bet the turn. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I think like just to go back to the first thing, the first point that you said about once I call here, it sort of it there's a uh, it starts bringing in a bunch of kind of removal effects and and almost caps my range um, a bunch. Uh, I think you're absolutely right that once if I had the nut flush and check back the flop um, with the intention to trap, I will be raising the turn um, at a fairly high frequency, especially versus the size. Um, I think the versus the size where I. Th- feel like it's it's more likely that the big blinds might have something might have connected with the board in some way I, yeah i think you're right that I, I would be raising um a decent amount and um yeah the second point that you made about we can fold a lot of better hands by raising the turn and, and i don't have to be as worried about a bet three bet uh as much as i was in the moment when we have the ace of hearts i think that's also a really good point that i wasn't thinking about i'm i'm basically slowly chipping away at what's going to happen so that i can have an out here on the river when I get very confused. So we decide to call the turn and now the river is the eight of clubs. So the board is now tray of hearts, six of hearts, seven of hearts, eight of clubs, nine of spades. So we have a straight to the 10 
with the Ace of Hearts. There's $135 in the pot, and our opponent checks. And now the action is on you. Tell me your thoughts. So once the big blind checks here, my kind of read on his range was that it's going to include a decent number of uh, one pair, two pair hands, and um, probably even all of his sets, I think, are probably going to check on this four-liner river. I think that um, I expected him, to the big blind, to probably just lead river with uh, most of his strong hands, most of his straights and flushes. Uh, so I decided to go for a, a larger sizing on the river, just trying to get called by his kind of like his two pairs and maybe his non-believing, non-believing 9x hands that checking the river planning on calling. And why did you suspect villain is going to lead out with a lot of their flushes and straights? Um, I think in these spots, it's it might be optimistic to for the villain to expect for the big blind to expect him to be able to get a check raise in on the river once you know flop goes check check turn you know I don't show you know any significant signs of aggression. Um, I think in the big blind's mind the River would uh, is you know almost too much at risk of just going check check um, you know and I and you know maybe I just check back my nine x or uh, I just check back my you know two pairs or or or, or what have you um, you know on the scary river um, and you know he maybe sometimes gets called when he bets his flushes and straights um, by by some of the hands that I would check back. I think what's more important to think about here instead of villain going for the check raise is mm. considering what hands call versus a check raise, right? Like if we're going for a check raise because we want two bets instead of one, then our opponent needs to have hands that want to put two bets into the pot. And it seems like to me, there's a deficiency of those type of hands that are just loving to call the check raise because like getting the check raise off is one thing. Having your opponent pay it off is a completely separate matter entirely, right? So I would also suspect that villains got a lot of incentive to just go ahead and bet with their value here. So I do like your river bet targeting the two pairs and the smaller straights. With all of that said, what happens next? Okay, so on the river, like you said, there's $135 in the pot. I bet 86 um, in position and the big blind check raises to $354. So much for... (sighs) the thought of him leading with his good hands here. Yeah. What do you make of this big check raise? In game, I think I my thought process was sort of consistent with with what I just said about me thinking that he would be incentivized to lead a lot of his like strong flushes and uh straights on the river. I think that I thought that this looked a little bluffy to me in the moment, but you know, it's not impossible that he, uh, that the big blind could be doing this with, you know, could take this line with some of his straights and flushes, I guess. So while I, th- I thought this was going to be more heavily weighted towards bluffs, uh, I started getting kind of scared <laughs> that maybe he does have uh, enough value that plays this way. My first thought when looking at this hand is not that villain has 
too many bluffs. <laughs> I think villain <laughs> on a four liner with a monotone flop is going to struggle to find enough natural bluffs here because natural bluffs are like turning two pair and sets into, into bluffs on the river, right? Like it's really hard for villain to have natural bluffs. I mean, we even have the ace of hearts, which might be a card that comprises a lot of their natural bluff check raise river range since they would have the blocker. So I think it's questionable, a questionable assumption there that they have too many bluffs and happy that you did not call because I think calling here is going to be, it's going to be torching money most likely with your straight on the river. So facing this large check raise, what action did you take? Uh, so after he check raises, so I bet $86, the big blind check raises to 354 and I decided to rip it in for the big blinds remaining $520. Um, just thinking that I have the ace of hearts, uh, <laughs> it's going to be hard for you to call with most hands, or at least you're going to have to like stop and, and think about it also kind of to go along with. Uh, the theme of the last two episodes of Tactical Tuesday that we recorded. I also thought that this was just going to be a spot that's going to be underbluffed by uh, the player on the button. I think, you know, I think the big blinds perception is 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 going to be that I don't, I'm not turning very many hands into bluffs in this spot, and that I I I just have it. Um, I either have the nut flush or some other sort of good flush most of the time when I bet three bet jam the river. Well, I could say that Pio does not indeed love the jam, but Pio hates villain check raising here with a lot of their hands as well. So Pio doesn't really love basically the situation going back to the tray five of hearts hand where you jammed river a couple mm-hmm. of tactical Tuesdays ago where we had nut advantage. Basically Pio doesn't like putting in another bet here on the river when the opponent has the nut advantage and the ability to just stick money in and kind of make him pay for <laughs> make him pay for not having the nuts in his range. So it's this spot is very, very tricky. I have little idea, even after looking at a sim and thinking about this and having discussions with another high level player who's in our Slack group about this specific hand. I'm not really sure what to make of it. I think that mostly the lesson to take away is that our, our opponent did fold Jack 10. So they went for a check raise here on the river. And I think that's going to be a pretty sizable mistake. Check raising big versus our river value bet. Simply because, like I just said, they're reopening the action against a range that can potentially have nut flushes in it. And that just doesn't typically end well. Right. Um I literally have no idea what what to think of your river shove here because really to learn much, we would need villain to fold like a jack high flush or a queen high flush. And I'm not ultra confident with only $500 remaining once you rip and the villains getting 2.6 to one that they're going to be folding flushes in actuality here. What I think may have happened is that you found the jack 10 in villains range and you folded it out exactly. <laughs> yeah, Jack had no heart, by the way. <laughs> yeah, Jack Jack had no heart, and and Pio Pio actually wants us to even check behind with the Ace Ten offsuit. It, it wants us, it doesn't even want us to value bet this hand. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
basically removing all of that just to give give some clarity here while removing the solver and removing Pio and all of these other things. Basically, we have a lot of incentive to bet the flop and we have a lot of incentive to raise the turn. So that would be that would be my preferred path to get to this situation in the future so that we don't have to try to solve for a spot that's basically just a bunch of question marks. And we don't, we don't even know if we can really trust the output that Pio is showing us. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think kind of my biggest takeaway from this hand was not seeing, not really thinking about the raise on the turn enough and not thinking about, you know, the range of hands that I could have folded out. Like for instance, this Jack 10 that just stabbed the turn, certainly going to fold. I, I assume like, like you said, like a lot of his nine X uh, is going to have trouble calling. It puts, you know, even his like two pairs, two pair hands, um, even like smaller flushes into sort of a, you know, starts putting them into a tough spot. And uh, I, I do think that like raising the turn, oh, I don't know if I get like more folds on the river from strong stronger hands. I don't know if he, if uh, the big blind just goes call call with his like sets and, and um, flushes. But uh, in any case, it, it wasn't something that I, I was, uh, considering in, in game. I think I was more like, oh, I checked back the flop so that I can comfortably call this turn bet with a somewhat disguised, pretty strong hand. You already had your path in mind when you checked back the flop, which yeah. that not a good thing to close future doors when you take your flop action and get presented with future data points. Yeah. I would say like bet three bets on the turn, especially on a monotone board, going to be seriously 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 under bluffed i would expect mm-hmm. not to face a bet three bet bluff al- almost never I, I i especially when we have the ace of hearts I, I expect that villain will bet three bet some of their second nut flushes maybe even some of their queen high flushes so really if we raise the turn and villain calls villain's range is somewhat capped by them just not bet three betting the turn so uh-huh. I think that we can still realize a decent amount of fold equity on the river with our ace blocker. And on this specific river, pretty clear that we ought to just be checking back. Check If we did raise the turn, um, villain calls, and then we make the straight on the river, right, we right. ought to just be checking it back. Gotcha. So with that jumbled mess of a hand in the books that I, I think actually – gained a lot more out of it than I initially thought. We're going to head to the break. And then after the break, we're going to break down a hand that I'm pretty confident in how we should proceed. And I think it is a very interesting situation where we get to make some good decisions against the recreational player in a very tricky spot. So stick around and don't miss the next hand. Look, I totally get it. You feel like being a lone wolf in your poker journey has hamstrung your ability to realize your full potential. So I'm about to give you a golden opportunity to plug into a supportive tribe that will be the poker family you've always wished you had. How much money would you give for one hour of interactive group coaching led by myself, Coach Thomas, and occasionally past guests of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast? For now, and this will absolutely change at some point in the near future, the price of admission to the Live Poker Power Hour is 100% free. All you've got to do to get your invite is head to ChasingPokerGreatness.com and hop on the VIP newsletter. 
No more excuses, no more procrastination. It's time to take action and put yourself in position to turn your poker dreams into reality. I hope to see that beautiful face of yours in just a couple of days. All right, welcome back to Tactical Tuesday, hand number two. I said that it it was against a wreck, and that is the reality. I did not lie to you. However, when the hand went down, we only had 11 hands on our particular villain, and they did look like they had somewhat regular stats. However, I do believe that we ought to be playing the hand in the same way versus each archetype. So it doesn't really matter. It's not going to change the strategic breakdown much at all. So with all that being said, John, set us up with this second hand that you played at 1K no limit, six max on ignition. Sure. So this hand starts with an under the gun open from a player that at the time was playing 27-27 had uh, more than 100 big blinds in his stack. Uh, so I probably perceived him to be a reg at the time it happened. Starts with the end of the gun player opening to $25. Gets folded around to me in the big blind. I have queen jack offsuit and uh, defend. The flop comes queen jack deuce rainbow. Um, I check and the under the gun player uh, leads for about a third pot. Um, Leads for 16 into 55. I check raise a little kind of on the smaller side to $58. And the under the gun player calls. And with top two here, we really don't want to be doing anything other than purely check raising versus the under the gun player. Get value while we can versus what appears to be pretty narrow and strong range. No thoughts of three-betting pre-flop with queen-jack off facing under the gun. Defending is purely the strategy that you ought to be taking. So I'm down with everything up to this point. We check-raise, villain small bet, and the opponent calls queen-jack-deuce-rainbow. We have top two pair. Do you have any thoughts on... Sorry, do you have any thoughts on going for the smaller check-raise sizing on these... Uh, sort of dry, I guess, dry flops without a flush draw. I think my standard, my normal check raise sizing would be slightly larger, probably closer to 4X. I do have thoughts, and my thought is go bigger. That's really, okay. I think that we're, we just ought to be going bigger. Villains got to be fairly inflexible in their continuing range here, facing the check raise when they have position. Mm-hmm. I think even a hand like Ace Jack is likely to call 78 as often as it is going to call 58. So Mm -hmm. we just should be sizing up. So thank you for opening that door so that (laughs) I could tell you, yes, in (laughs) fact, go bigger. Okay. So under the gun player calls uh, the check raise. There's now $171 in the pot and the turn is the king of hearts. So the board is now queen, jack, deuce, king. The king brings in a heart flush draw. I sort of panicked. (laughs) <laughs> and freeze up uh, once the King of Hearts peels. I felt that that was a very bad card for me and probably uh, a much better call, a uh, much better turn card for uh, the under the gun players range. I think this is where, um, you know, and I think you'll agree, this is where I start uh, kind of messing up the hand. So I panic. Wait, wait, and- wait, wait, wait. We need to 
gain some clarity on our decisions here on the turn where you have two pair and you yeah. said that this is going to be better for your opponent than our hand. I would question that in that our check raise range here on the flop is pretty narrow and we have ace 10 and nine ten. We have all the ace and offsuits and suited varieties that we ought to be check raising here on the, on the flop. So we have a lot of strong hands as well. I, I guess what I meant was that this hand might be okay for my range, but it, it felt like it was really bad for my specific hands in, you know, in the moment. And that, that's sort of what froze me up. I, I, I also think that having ace 10 and nine ten in full, which I, I agree with you, I think I, I would be check raising all of those combos on the flop kind of gave me some pause as well, because I was like, well, if I'm betting turn with the straights and probably also with, um, bottom set when I have deuces and check raise the flop. I don't know. Like, does that mean I should be betting my two? Like, is two pair like high enough up in my range to be value betting as well? Or like, does it suddenly fall down like a couple notches because I suddenly have way stronger hands that I get to the turn with? Well, you still beat very specific hands in villains range: ace yeah. queen, ace king, and aces. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a pretty big pretty big factor here when we bet we're uncapped right so like we don't they don't get to raise us just willy-nilly with anything like we have we have broadways we have uh bottom set like we have straights uh with nine ten suited so it's a situation where we're protected and we can get value from worse and if villain raises we just pretty easily chunk our cards right into the muck when we check villain has an opportunity to realize equity with ace king or aces if they decide to check back but really they get to just bet and kind of make our lives hell because if you want to construct a checking range here tell me how this checking range is protected i mean yeah i can't think of a great way that i would want to protect my checking range on the turn i i I assume i'd have to start checking some straights on the turn and i just I, i don't think that that's something i'd be doing uh, something that I would think of doing in the moment. I think if I did turn a straight with nine ten or ace ten, I'd just be super happy and and continue betting and hope they, you know, hope the under the gun player has hope that the turn has helped the under the gun player's hand in some way. Um, so yeah, I, I think I would have a lot of trouble protecting my checking range on the turn with with really strong hands. I would say that you won't. <laughs> let's be more <laughs> let's be more hard here on the opinion. <laughs> Your checking range is not protected here on the turn. Yeah. And when I ran this sim and looked at it and node locked, basically Pio prefers a small bet with the entirety of your range hmm. or mostly all of your range here, which makes a lot of sense to me intuitively, where hmm. if we can't really defend our checking range, then it's likely we ought to just be betting with our full range. Gotcha. Yeah, I think I think that's, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll get into it in a couple minutes here, but yeah, I do think that betting small. I think that like, what's interesting is when you're considering two options, if one of the options you can't protect, Mm -hmm. you probably shouldn't choose that option. Like as a default thought, if, if I had the option to choose bet or check and I can't defend, if I bet, you should probably be checking. And if you, you know, if the options are bet and check and you can't defend your checking range, then you should probably just be purely betting there to simplify and avoid avoid facing any future difficulties. 
and making any future mistakes, getting exploited. There's just a number of benefits. And by defend your betting range, like when you say you don't want to bet when you can't defend after betting, you mean defend versus a raise. Correct. Yeah. Like in in the previous hand with Jack 10 off where villain raised, right? Well, they can't really defend their raising range if they're raising with Jack 10 off and then they fold when we rip it. So because they can't defend that raising range because they don't have the nuts there, well, that's probably not a good situation to reopen the action and put ourselves in a position where we can just get crushed if the villain sees an obvious exploit. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I see what you're saying. In reality, this is where we diverge. My my coaching feedback would be to just bet here with range. In reality, we check and now our opponent bets $125 into 171. As a reminder, the board is King of Hearts, Queen of Clubs, Jack of Spades, Deuce of Hearts, and we have Queen Jack. Now tell me what you're thinking here. I just <laughs> I I didn't know what to do versus the size. It I was honestly just in a bind. Like I thought like the under the gun player can have nine ten, he can have ace ten as well. He can um you know, he can now have improved to a hand like King Queen or King Jack. He can also have turn top set with a hand like Pocket Kings. I think like the one thing that I was kind of worried about was that when the undergun player does have King Queen, King Jack, and Pocket Kings, you know, a lot of my boat outs are going to be dirty on the river. Um, and I'm still going to hate it if I boat the river and face a big bet from the undergun player. But I think part of the reason, uh, so I just listed, just rattled off a bunch of hands that that now beat mine. But I think I was also worried that the under the gun player might be able to find uh, bets on the turn with hands like ace king or aces or even a hand like king 10 uh, that had an open ender on the flop and now turn top pair. One thing that I wasn't worried about, uh, maybe this is some sort of faulty assumption as well, was that the under the gun player would just have bluffs here. I think for the under the gun player to have just some sort of airball uh, bluff on the turn, he would have had to call the check raise on the flop with the intention of bluffing the turn. Should I check um, or just bluffing the turn in some way at all, I guess. And and I thought that was a little bit of a stretch. So I thought that under the gun range when he bets this turn is going to be either hands that, are now beating mine or hands that are just overvaluing their, their strength. Um, and, and uh... it's interesting that this is your analysis because this is all, these are all great reasons to just do the bet yourself and yeah. not have to guess as to whether or not villain is overvaluing or overplaying aces or ace king. Like if we just bet and they call <laughs> our life is so much easier. Like let's make them put the bet in here on the turn with those type of hands and not check and then have to guess whether or not they're actually betting, betting with them or they're actually checking back. I, I don't know the answer. And I would say that based purely on your analysis here, folding the turn is, you know, like I said, I, I know luck this spot from the most likely hands that villain has in this situation, because both ranges are quite narrow at this point of the hand. And Pio wanted us to just check fold the turn. Calling the turn was losing money. Pio wanted us to check fold the turn after you node locked. It was after I put in the specific range that I felt like villain would get here and yeah. really simplified the solve to 
see like the frequency in which, I mean, Pio actually wants Villain to start going absolutely apeshit with aces here. It wants aces to start going like 275 on the turn to set up a river jam versus our silly little capped check. Mm, yeah. So like Pio just takes it, taking advantage of the fact that they block the ace tens and I probably don't have them when I check, once I start checking the turn. Right. Like basically when we check here, our life gets miserable and Pio just wants to kind of pull the plug. <laughs> one, one problem, one problem too, is like when we check call, how, how do we defend on the river? Like how, how do we defend against future aggression? We don't, we don't have any good hands. Like we basically we're just so capped that like on the river, we just check and pray to God that they check behind. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I'm in agreement with you that I think the check call uh, here, which is, which is what I did um, in game is, is just terrible. Like I, I even stated like a couple minutes ago that like I can improve and still lose or still be in like a really tough spot on the river um, versus the under the guns hands that also improve the boats. Um, so yeah, it almost feels like nothing good can happen on the river once I call uh, the 125 on the turn. No, because like even the ace queens and the ace jack hands that bet the flop and then call our check raise, like they're in, very incentivized on this turn to just check back and right. try to realize equity, try to get close to showdown. So when villain chooses to place a large bet on the turn, it's very, very concerning. Yeah. Uh, With all that said, we do call the turn, probably should have bet the turn, probably should have folded versus the bet but here we are in this alternate reality where we did check call and the river is the nine of diamonds so the final board is king of hearts queen of clubs jack of spades nine of diamonds deuce of hearts there's a four liner we check and what did your opponent do my the underdog player also checked back like you said that's just sort of what i was praying for especially when i saw the nine uh complete kind of obvious four-liner on the river. I was just like, please check, please check, please check. Um, and the under the gun player did end up checking back with uh, King-Queen um, for a turn top two pair. Yeah, I, I would say that whether they check or bet, it's very likely that we are effed. <laughs> Regardless of their river decision here, I, I think like the hope is that they just check back aces or ace-king, I assume. Right, right. And those are hands that naturally call the turn. So let's go all the way back there. The hands that naturally continue on the turn that we beat. Let's just put a bet in there on the turn. Make those hands continue. Bank on the, the fact that we've got the nuts in our range. Villain can't, you know, our betting range is protected. They can't just raise us mm -hmm. and make us fold our entire range here. But when we check, our checking range is very underprotected. It makes our strategy ultra complex makes it to where we need to start checking some like ace 10 and nine tens to have any sort of defense here when villain starts applying future aggression. So the moral of the story is sometimes poker is just not very fun when you're out of position and villains got a lot of hands that beat us. And that doesn't mean that we, we should check. Sometimes you just got to embrace the not funness of a turn card and put the bet in. Yeah. Yeah, I think that I definitely agree with you. That is that is the line that I should have taken. Um, and probably the line that I did that the line that I did take in real life was probably one of the worst uh one of the worst lines that I could have picked. Yeah, and you know, this is uh for anybody listening out there that would like their hands broken down ruthlessly and heartlessly by myself, Coach Brad, 
um, <laughs> hit me up, join Greatness Village, hop on the VIP newsletter. These are ultra valuable though, because sometimes the decisions that we want feedback on aren't the actual decision that we need feedback on to help us navigate the hands. And it's hard to see that when you don't have a coach, when you don't have a higher level player, or just even on the same level player who's looking at the hand from a little bit different perspective and a little bit different lens to give you that feedback. And that will conclude this episode of Tactical Tuesday. John, once again, thank you very much for hopping on to the show. Coach Thomas, I believe he said he was supposed to be back next week, but who knows what's going on. If, if he's not, I guess John will try to melt my brain once again. <laughs> yeah, I'll try to come up with a couple more headache hands for you if, uh, if Coach Thomas isn't back by next week. Thank you very much for listening. Check us out next week on Tactical Tuesday.